and welcome to the Badass Breastfeeding Podcast. This is Diane, your lactation consultant. And I'm Abby, the Badass Breastfeeder. And today's episode is brought to you by Fairhaven Health. If you leak breast milk, you can now stop losing it to your breast pad and instead collect it to add to your stash. And today's episode is also brought to you by Original Sprout. Original Sprout carries safe, effective, and pediatrician-tested shampoos, conditioners, styling, and body care products. And we will hear more from our sponsors later, but you can head to badassbreastfeedingpodcast.com and go to our sponsor page while you're there and see if you can give our sponsors any business if you need anything because they make this podcast possible. And while you're there, you can scroll down and enter your email address and we will and do send episodes straight to your inbox every week. And I hope you guys are enjoying our extra Wednesdays. Oh, yes. Yes. Have you noticed? I I know I've noticed that you noticed. Yes. I see you see it. us. Yes. We forgot to announce that we were gonna do it again. So Yeah, well, know. clearly you got notified. Everybody got the message. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody got the message. That's good. Yes. So I'll do our review. Fantastic. And this came from um our email, badass breastfeeding podcast at gmail.com. And it's from Riley. She said, hi, my name is Riley. It's very cute. <laughs> said, I just had to say thank you. I know I can feel like you are not making an impact, but you are. I found your podcast when I was pregnant and looking for information on how to breastfeed. I have not had anyone in my family breastfeed, so it was super intimidating. My daughter was born and dropped a lot of weight in the hospital. I had one nurse tell me I had to supplement with formula because of your podcast. I knew I just needed to let my body do what it was made to do. After that, I had a lot of fear around not making enough milk. This picture was taken a few days ago of me shamelessly feeding my daughter on her six-month birthday. This is actually a little while ago, but the picture is adorable. We now have it made it six months with only breast, and we are going strong. We plan to do this as long as we can. Thank you guys so much. You are impacting today and a generation to come. And this happened to come on a day. I I remember getting this um, email, and that came on a day where I was particularly like crotchety and felt like I was not making an impact on anybody on the planet. And she, I get this email and she was like, you're making an impact. And I was like, wow, like, I think she heard me. So it <laughs> like, very cool. Yeah. It like made me, I mean, like, not like I have to always feel like I'm doing something for others, but there are right. definitely some days where you just feel, I mean, we're all parents, right? You all feel it. Like you're just yeah. not valued or respected or appreciated ever. Yeah. It's true. And that came um, on one of those days. So it barely made me feel good. So not that that's what it's about, of course. But uh, congratulations to you, Riley, and reaching your goals. And I love that she found us when she was pregnant because I think that that's super important for people to listen when they're pregnant just to get the information, you know, just know where you can get information and kind of know what to expect what you're getting into. Yeah. I mean, if you do, I feel like you're really lucky if you happen to start this when you're pregnant. Yeah, I do too. Because I feel like so much of it, we just don't know until after we have our baby. And I've said a lot of times, like when we're pregnant, right? We're not focused on breastfeeding. Like, did you think, I don't, I think the only thing I thought of when I was pregnant was, I mean, with my first, with my second, with the twins, it was different. But with my first one, I was like, I don't really know what kind of formula I would use. I don't know anything about that. Uh, I'll just breastfeed. But I didn't look into really getting much info. And all I was, was focused on was birth. Right. That's what everybody's focused birth on. Like, so, get the like, baby you, out. Yeah. You're so scared of that. That's that's really all you focus on. Yeah. And everybody's like, oh, the feeding stuff will come later. So if you have the wherewithal to actually like be yeah. looking into the feeding stuff, good. You're like 18 steps you're, ahead oh, of where totally I was. Totally ahead of the sure. game. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. 
So thank you so much for sending that to us via email. You can also put your your reviews on iTunes. That really helps us a lot. We totally appreciate it. Um, or send an email to badassbreastfeedingpodcast at gmail.com. I promise I will answer. Sometimes it takes me a little, a few days, but I will get to it. <laughs> um, and thank you. And we're going to talk about colic today, which I think is another super important thing that we should have talked about a long time ago. And yeah. um, it's good for everybody to know going into having a baby. Yeah. Colic is one of those like things that I think has a lot of misinformation around it. Oh, yeah. As usual. Mm-hmm. And everyone's really scared of it. Yeah. I'm, I had a friend whose first child who I'm, I, I just hear this from her, so I don't know. She, you know, her first child was colicky is what she says. And she was breastfeeding and she removed like, you know, she was like taking dairy out of her diet, taking all this stuff, doing all this stuff. And I didn't I didn't really know her like at that point. But then I knew her when she was having her second and she was clearly like traumatized. Oh, because she was like, I'm just going to start now. I'm just going to like remove all of this stuff, you know, from my diet. I'm just going to do this now. And just, just in case, because, you know, and she could tell she was just like (laughs) so scared of like going into this and going through that again. Oh man. So, but you know, yeah. And I was like, Oh, I don't know. I don't know, because I never really went through anything that like that. And I don't even know what's real or not. Not like what's real, because it's like that's colic is one of those things like you're saying, there's a lot of I feel like there's a lot of misinformation around it, but I think people label that label a baby colic when they're not colic. You know what I mean? Like Yeah, like a fussy baby. Yeah, like if a baby's fussy, they'll be like, Oh, the baby's colicky. It's like Probably not. They're probably just, and that was one of the things that I read was if there was like that parents can kind of misconstrue normal infant fussiness, which I yeah, think is again, we don't true. understand newborn. We don't no. understand babies and what they're supposed to do. And if they're crying, it's like, oh my God. What's wrong with the baby? Yeah. And it's, you know, so they have, there is certain criteria for colic. There is certain criteria. So the criteria for colic is, I think it's like a rule of threes. Let me find it. Cause I have, I was just telling Abby, like I was messing with my computer before we came on because you know, it's my first day and I had to like, <laughs> every day is our first day at the badass breastfeeding <laughs> podcast. Welcome to your very, very first day. Excuse us because we're still getting our things together and still trying to sort things out and iron out the wrinkles. Cause you know, it's our first day. Oh my God. I tell ya. Oh, it's been four years, four and a half years. <laughs> so crazy but i but had yeah. to like my computer was like acting out goofy so i had to um like shut it off and start over again but so it like got rid of my all my info but um colic there's a rule of three so colic is tr- one of the research studies that i found colic is traditionally defined by wessel's criteria of crying or fussing more than three hours of the day for more than three days of the week. So if your baby cries three hours a day or longer, more than three days a week, they're considered like, that's kind of considered colic. Wow. I don't know who's I timing their babies hours a day, three times a week. <laughs> you have colic. <laughs> I, I don't know who's like, and they even said, like, then one of the other studies that I really like a lot, too, um, or one of the other research things that I've read, 
said like, so the baby that cries like two hours and 45 minutes isn't considered colic. Like, you know, like it's that kind of thing. Yeah. Like, it's just, this is just kind of a guideline, you know, like if your baby yeah. is just constantly crying um, and no matter what you do, it doesn't seem to console them. Then they can be considered like that can be considered colic. Um, and it, they say that there's really like not a lot of reason behind it either. There's just like they can't find a lot of reasons behind it. There are certain things that they associate with it, and it's not what everybody thinks it is. So it, it really is pretty interesting. Um, so there's a lot of stuff. So d- causes of colic, one of the things that I read says, you know, despite years of research, colic remains elusive and there are many proposed theories. Um, it does represent. Represent the most severe spectrum of normal infant distress, or is it manifestation of underlying gastrointestinal, neurological, or psychosocial disorders? Perhaps infant colic can be best regarded as an exacerbation of normal infant behavior by a mixture of physiological and psychosocial factors. Um, Colic can only be or should only be diagnosed after an exclusion of organic causes. These occur in less than 10% of infants presenting with crying. So there are certain things that should be looked at. Like you shouldn't be like, okay, my baby's crying. And somebody says, oh, they got, they have colic. Like without looking at all of these other things that could be happening. Um, There's definitely some of it is connected to feeding. Like we look at, okay, is baby having some kind of allergic reaction? Is there some like, you know, if they're being formula fed, is it regarding the formula? Do we need to switch formulas? Is there something like, are they having an into- like a lactose intolerance thing? Um, is it a milk protein allergy? Something like that. Is there um, other things that are showing allergy? Like is your baby doing all of this crying and all of this fussing and all of this really, really distress, but no other symptoms of anything? Like, and when I say symptoms, I mean like if the- if there's a milk protein allergy, you're going to see like excessive spitting up rashes, eczema, blood in their poop. Like you're going to see a lot of like gastro type mm-hmm. of distress with those babies going along with the, with the crying. So it's like, okay, is that what's causing the colic? Can we just take care of that, fix that and, you know, kind of go on our way. Um, they said like reflux is one of the mm-hmm. things that they look at. And then later on in the article, it says that even with medication, um, for for reflux that doesn't necessarily take away the crying. So that may or may not be something. And these are all like guesses, really. Like they're like, okay, could be one of these things, but it could just be that your baby is in distress for whatever reason. Um one of the articles that I did really like a lot that I read talked a lot about those all those things too. But also talked about like some of the normal, you know, normal infant fussiness and how we, how it perceives to parenting because it's really difficult to parent when your baby's going through so much distress like this. Yeah. And that, that kind of like feeds into it too. You know, so if there's, because so colic can be very disturbing to just a parenting relationship. And can cause yeah. a lot of problems. So that if there's right. already a lot of like high anxiety and they did link colic to parents that already have a lot of high anxiety. 
Are you yeah. going to say something about I that? I can see yeah. that. Yeah, well, because I, I was just going to say with, with my with friend that I was talking about, like it did affect, it affected her so much that she was just like so scared to have another baby. You know, it was, it was so upsetting and so stressful. And I don't know about that anxiety. I mean, like, I feel like so many people have anxiety. It could oh my be God, like of, feeling, know. you know, feeling that. Um, but it is disruptive to it's it's hard to bond with a baby that's just crying and can't stop crying. And that's what this says. It says, you know, in addition, colic can threaten a parent's mental health, harm a family relationships. Parents are more likely to become depressed if their babies suffer from colic. And when parents are depressed, babies are at a higher risk for developing insecure attachment relationships, perhaps because parents are struggling with feelings of helplessness, anger or rejection. Yeah. I mean, it feels terrible to feel like you can't soothe your baby. Right. Yeah. It's like I had a baby and now all it does is cry. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just crying constantly and nothing I do. And then you spend your whole time trying to get the baby to stop crying, which is like part of parenting, but not all of it. Right. When that's, you know, just a giant significant portion. And I feel like so much of this too is like babies can't talk. Right. You know, we have to do all this research and all this investigation into what's wrong with them. And like maybe the ga- baby is like extra gassy. Mm-hmm. Maybe the baby is, you know, we don't, we, they can't tell us anything. So it's just this constant, like not, you just, it's like constant investigation. There is one. Okay. So this is fascinating this thing that i was gonna that i'm gonna bring up now um that i found actually in two different articles i was gonna wait and do it as a cliffhanger before our ads but this is really a cool thing and it kind of links to what you were talking about yeah that it is not it says it's not clear yet how common infantile migraine might be, but in part because nobody is sure how to confirm that a baby has experienced a migraine. But studies show that babies with colic are more likely to have mothers who suffer from migraines, and colicky babies are also more likely to get diagnosed with migraines later in life. So there's reason to suspect that at least some colicky babies are suffering from a condition related to migraines. Isn't that fascinating? Yeah, I never even thought of a baby having a headache. Like I, that is fascinating to me. Yeah, and that that's like the second. This is the second article I've seen that in. Wow, poor baby! Can you imagine having like a headache, a migraine, and then crying? Oh, what a what a horrible cycle! But that's the only way they know how to make it work. Exactly, that's all they know how to do. But then it's gonna, you know, they're in distress, which is gonna make the headache worse. No, I don't want anybody that has a baby that's crying thinking your baby's got a migraine. Because this is like, you know, this is just something that they've found in research that it is connected. Colic is connected with mothers that have migraines and kids that have migraines in the future. So it doesn't mean that like, oh my gosh, my baby must have a migraine. Like, don't run to your pediatrician and say, does my baby have a migraine? Because they're probably going to look at you like you're crazy. But <laughs> babies do like get a headache. Like we, we taught, I remember talking about this when I was like first in like learning about breastfeeding stuff and first, you know, doing my, all my like clinical hours and stuff like that. And I remember a lactation consultant saying like, maybe the baby's got a headache kind of thing. And I'm like, that's a thing, you know, but that was more of like after the birth when with a vacuum extracted baby where there was a lot of pressure on their head or even just regular birth where there is, you know, I mean, think about it. They're, you're, they're pushing against cervix and yeah, pushing out all that be. pressure and all you know like there's you know 
how do we know that there isn't some discomfort there? Or some and, discomfort that we can't even as adults understand because we didn't just go through the birthing experience the way they did. Exactly. So then you're trying to position your baby to feed and we're putting pressure on their head or we've got them in a certain position or we've got them kind of like a, in a you know, position where their head is down more, where the blood is rushing to their head. Maybe that's causing more pressure. And like, so one of the like, maybe the baby's got a headache. And I was like, you wow, know, that's like really eye opening to me right now. I like know. I never thought about that. You, you see like, you know, you see, I don't know how many birthing like pages people follow on Instagram, but you should follow a whole bunch. You could see like newborn babies. Well, I mean, you, and you also have babies, but like <laughs> sometimes babies are born with like a completely deformed skull mm-hmm. head because they go through the birth canal and they're either like there a long time or they go really fast or it's like their their heads come out like molded in these super crazy ways. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know, maybe that hurts a little. Yeah. I mean, I never thought about it. It's just like, oh, yeah, it's supposed to be. Well, sure, it's supposed to because they need to come out. But like, that doesn't mean that it's not like uncomfortable. And what about the bright lights? Yeah. Oh, my God. Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, being in this world is just. Right. Enough to give anybody a migraine. It just makes you cry. It makes you cry. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Should we do our ads and then we'll talk about more reasons for colic? Yes, absolutely. We'll be right right back. Today's episode is brought to you by Fairhaven Health. Do you leak breast milk? Have you ever thought about how much breast milk you are soaking up into your breast pads and throwing away? What if you could catch that milk and add it to your stash instead? The Milky's Milk Saver allows you to do just that. Slide the Milk Saver into your bra or tank top on the non-nursing side to catch the letdown while you breastfeed. People are adding ounces upon ounces to their stash on a daily basis. Thousands and thousands of breastfeeders have discovered this product. It holds two ounces of milk, it's comfortable to wear, and it's reusable. You might be thinking that you don't leak very much. That is what most people say before they have actually used the Milk Saver. You will be shocked at how much milk you collect, at how much liquid gold you are throwing into the garbage. This milk can be used to beef up your stash, to make breast milk keepsakes for baths, for breast milk popsicles, lotions, Soaps, you name it. Breast milk is worth saving. Check out the Milky's Milk Saver at fairhavenhealth.com. That's F-A-I-R-H-A-V-E-N health.com. And use code BADASS for 15% off your purchase. And today's episode is also brought to you by Original Sprout. Original Sprout carries safe, effective, and pediatrician-tested shampoos, conditioners, styling, and body care products produced and packaged in California, USA. The leave-in conditioner's lightweight formula is made with nourishing emollients and arnica for split ends, making it ideal for detangling and eliminating frizz from damaged hair. The Miracle Detangler is perfect for making combing hair easier for babies, toddlers, children, and anyone with long hair. The rosemary can help prevent lice. All of Original Sprouts products are paraben and phthalate-free. I know, what a bonus. Vegan and cruelty-free, their proprietary formulas contain nourishing extracts from fruits, vegetables, and flowers that the whole family can enjoy. They are not just for babies anymore. Check out the entire line at OriginalSprout.com. That's OriginalSprout.com. And use code BADASS for 25% off of your order. 
and uh, the our sponsors and the promo codes can be found in our show notes at badassbreastfeedingpodcast.com in the show notes under this episode. Uh, the show notes will also include further information about things we talk about in this episode and also at badassbreastfeedingpodcast.com. You will find our breastfeeding resources, all of our other episodes, and information about scheduling your own one-on-one online lactation consultation with Diane. So a few other things that they talked about, um, one of the ones that I've heard often is that there is like gut issues with these babies. And that's kind of what we were talking about in the beginning too. Like, is there a problem with, you know, whatever. Um, There's, they have seen that there have been some improvements with babies taking probiotics. If kind of trying to adjust their gut oh. flora, uh-huh. that, that helps a lot with the crying, um, with, you know, discomfort for babies. So that is something that if you're not doing, I mean, I suggest probiotics quite a bit for babies and people are always like, oh, okay, I didn't think about that. Yeah, And it, I mean, it's harmless and it can't hurt. But especially if it's a situation where if your baby got antibiotics in the hospital, which that happens, I mean, that happens quite a bit, that's going to definitely impact their gut flora. So we did a, we did an episode on microbiome and, you know, gut flora and stuff like that. So probiotics can be super helpful with something like that. If we're finding that your baby is super fussy, having lots of, you know, lots of bouts of crying, they seem really uncomfortable, um, gas, stuff like that a probiotic might be something that's going to help. It's It might not be like, you know, the be all and end all, but it could help for sure to kind of cut back on some of that. Now, the other thing to remember with colic is that this does go away. So this is something that is usually happening like anywhere from like two to six weeks, it might start and then go on for about three to, f- until they're about three to four months old. Um, that sounds like a lifetime for sure. But it just yeah. kind of like, and everything I've read said that just kind of like stops. Like all of a sudden it just stops, like without any kind of reason, rhyme or reason, it just kind of goes away, which tells us that some of it is probably developmental too. Um, so other possible causes, high strung temperament, temporary developmental lags and caregiving factors. Um, I think, think that this stuff is pretty important. So it might be that what they're saying here is that, you know, maybe your baby is just one of those babies that is a little bit more hypersensitive to the world around them. You know, maybe you don't have that super easygoing baby that's just going to lay back and be like, I don't care what goes on, you know? Um, And some of the, some babies are a little bit more high strung and they might be a little bit harder to soothe. So some babies might maybe have a higher reactive stress response system. Their stress response systems go into overdrive in situations that don't upset another baby. And that's really just Yeah. That's like yeah. That's just like normal, like I mean, I react high to stuff all the time as an adult. Like I can't even control my own <laughs> my own reactions half the time. Right. But, and, and, you know, we just kind of expect that babies are just going to know how to react. Like they just don't, babies don't self-regulate. Like they just don't know how to calm themselves well. And they might react to stuff that's going on around them in their environment. And we don't know, like we keep saying over and over again, like we don't know how, like we are so foreign to baby behavior, to infant behavior 
that we just don't even conceptualize that. Like if your baby is crying, 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 people always go to, is it something I ate because I'm breastfeeding or do I not have enough milk? Do I have enough milk? Yep. It goes to one of those (laughs) two things. And sometimes they just cry and there is no reason that we know of. And that's a really hard thing to think of, especially if you're one of those personalities that's like, I need to know exactly what's going on all the time. Like, which that's not bad. But if you're one of those people where the unknown gives you more anxiety, that this is a really difficult thing. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there's all kinds of things that you're not going to know about your baby. Well, so what what I understand about colic is that it tends to happen at the same time of day, right? Isn't there like a time of day? Yeah, and like it's a little bit predictable. Yeah, and that that did say this, which made me think. Okay, then how can we relate it to a feeding issue? Because wouldn't that happen all day long? You know what I well, mean? Right, like, but yeah, because I mean, you think about like I, I hear about um, you hear about like the witching hour. You know, like the kind of mm-hmm. early evening where babies just kind of get really fussy and they're nursing more and all that. Um, so, I mean, babies already have, you know, some, a little bit of predictable fussiness for whatever reason. And if we think about like how, how diverse the personalities are as adults, I mean, that's as diverse as personalities are as babies too. Mm-hmm. That some are just going to be, well, I mean, you know, we said this, that are going to be fussier and maybe have that time of day where they're just... They got to get it out. They got to empty their cup. Right. You know, like, I don't know where they're just crying and we don't know why. And maybe they don't know why. Maybe there is no no why. They're just crying. There might be no why. Yeah, there might be no why. Um, So one of the other things that they said here is that it's also been proposed that maybe babies cry excessively because they haven't yet developed strong circadian rhythms of hormonal production. And we know we did an episode on this, too of on um circadian rhythms didn't we i think i feel like yeah, that's yeah, familiar we did. yeah we yeah. did and how you know there is more melatonin and there is melatonin in breast milk and that helps to set up your baby's circadian rhythm so in the evening if your baby isn't producing enough of the calming ho- hormone melatonin and they're crankier at night they don't sleep well which makes them more reactive to stress and harder for them to self-regulate so that could definitely be something that's going on with them too, that maybe they're just unregulated. They're just unsettled. Hormone development isn't happening yet. I mean, your baby doesn't pop out and all their stuff is working right. Like it takes time for their systems to connect. Yeah. And we still, like we've said many times now that, that humans are one of the least developed animals upon birth. So we're Mm -hmm. coming out, you know, babies are coming out. They're not, they're not as developed as, you know, like a horse. Like a horse is born, hits the ground, <laughs> the mom eats the placenta, placenta right? and then the horse walks away. They're like, I'm out of here. They're, yeah, yeah. They're like, oh, I can stand up. I was, I mean, like, yeah, of course I can. I was born a couple hours ago. Yeah. And, you know, humans are not like that. Human, human babies, like in, in, in our ancestors, were still in the womb during this time. Mm-hmm. And so, God, their bodies and things are just not even like they're still developing on a, on a very basic minimal level. Right. So that's got to be 
it's you know, part of it too. Yeah. The, yeah. Um, it's also saying here one idea, another idea is that babies become colicky because their parents are anxious, depressed, or otherwise distressed. This is not implausible because stress is contagious. Um, some experiments that were show that were done with one-year-old infants show that babies can sense and mirror the stress of their own parents. Moreover, there's evidence suggesting that mothers are less likely to report colic in their infants if they have supportive partners. But it's also obvious that colic causes stress in parents. So we don't really know like which which comes first, but we do know that parents with colicky babies are at higher risk for becoming more depressed, having more anxiety. And babies have trouble forming those attachments to those parents. So it could be just like this big cycle of things. Um, it is really, really important to have that support system. And, and I think we talk more, I feel like we talk more about that now than we used to. Like we're just seeing more and yeah. more of how much the support system really benefits everything and everyone when a new baby is brought into the mix. And you really do need the time. And I know, like, I hear this from parents all the time. It's like, you have a fussy baby. They don't want to be put down. You can't do anything with them. You try to put them down. They don't want that. They don't want to lay down. They don't want to sleep. They they want to be held. They want to be snuggled. And parents are like, I can't do this all the time. I need to, I have other things I have to go and do. It's like, your your baby doesn't understand nor care. <laughs> and it, like, it just... We need to be able to have that time, but in our society right now, it's like, nope, we've got other things to do. We've got to go do these other things. We've got appointments. We've got, you know, yoga. We've got going back to work. We've got baby photos. We've got, you know, doctor's appointments upon doctor's appointments. And it just is crazy how much we're doing everything by yourself and you're doing everything by yourself. And we are just, and you're taking care of other kids sometimes in those situations too. And it's like, you then we go, why Why is the baby so fussy? Right. I had a friend who she had her, I don't know, maybe it wasn't her second. I don't remember which one it was, the first or the second. It doesn't matter. Um, she was moving from an apartment into a house. And so she they had bought a house, you know, she was, and so she was in the process of moving and had had this baby. And she said to like a group of of us, she said like, that the baby was super fussy and, you know, it was really stressful time and the baby was crying a lot and da da da. And a friend was like, well, you know, you guys are stressed out from the move. So the baby's probably picking up on that. And I, I remember her getting like really defensive about it, you know, like how she was causing the baby stress. And it's like, no, no, no. It's just the answer. Right. It's not your fault. It's not, there's nothing you could do about it because moving is stressful, period. There's nothing, there's right. no, there's no solution. It's just, that's the answer. The baby is fussy because it's a stressful time. Okay. Now we understand that and we'll get through it. You know, the move will, you know, the move will be over and everyone's stress level will go down and everyone will be fine. So I think when we talk about stress too, parents, then it stresses parents out even more because it's like, oh my God, I'm being stressed out and it's causing my baby to be stressed out. And so now I'm doing something and then, then they're more stressed out. And it's like, no, it's like, it's, it's, it's just, it's okay. Like it's now you just, it's just having a better understanding and going, okay, yeah, that must be what's happening and we'll get through it and it won't last forever. I talk to parents about that too. Sometimes when they have babies that are like, you know, super fussy, um, maybe not to the, the level of colic, but just super fussy and they happen to have other children 
and a lot of stuff going on. And I'm like, there's a lot of overstimulation happening here. And I always tell them too, like, this is not your fault. Like it's, you can't help that you're trying to handle, you know, two or three other kids that are need attention and you're trying to make dinner for them and go to their events and, you know, dropping off and picking up and bath time for all the kids and, you know, all the stuff that happens in a very busy household that you got a dog running around. Like, we know that this is an overstimulating <laughs> place to be, but then drop a baby in the middle of this and go, why are they fussy? Like, that's why they're fussy. But you can't always, you can't control that. Like, it's just like you said, that's just the answer. It's not that you're doing anything wrong. Babies need to learn how to adapt, but that could be part of the problem. Like it just, there's a yeah, lot of overstimulation happening. There. Yeah. And I, I think it's interesting too, to see the difference of, you know, the, of the prevalence of colic from culture to culture. Mm-hmm. Cause there are some cultures where this doesn't happen, you know, where there's very little of this, right. Where there is, there are communities, strong communities um, a lot of help, a lot of, you know, this more village type settings where babies are less colicky in those cultures. So one of the, there's a little bit of a mix in this one study, um, I'll link this stuff too, that says that there is a theory that colic is caused by child rearing practices that minimize responsiveness and physical contact between parents and babies, and that colic might be prevented if caregivers adopted a highly responsive tactile approach to baby care, including holding or carrying the baby at least 80% of the time and giving the baby the breast or otherwise soothing him within seconds of hearing him cry. But that wasn't supported by other studies. So, but I would think that responsiveness is going to have a quite a bit to do with how calm your baby is. Um, I mean, we know that when you, if your baby's in distress and you pick them up, they're likely to be more soothed. So I yeah. would think that that responsiveness does make a difference. Um, one of the other things that I had seen too, I'm going to see if it's in this article talked a little bit about like um, all the things that we try to give babies, right? Like, Oh yeah. Like gripe water, gripe water and, you know, um, reflux meds and gripe water yeah. and gas drops and, you know, and like Highlands, all of that stuff. Highlands, Highlands things, tablets, yeah. little tablets. Did those work? Uh, no. I mean, I don't know. They're like Highlands teething tablets, but <laughs> yeah. I think they have other like stuff too. I don't know. I used to like shove them in my kids' mouths. Yeah. It's a, you I don't know. know. I don't think they did anything. There's really, yeah, there's no evidence behind them. Um, you know, no studies really saying this stuff works. I have like in talking to parents, I've heard them say sometimes, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it's, you know, they might work for a few days and then never work again. Like, I mean, we just don't know. And, and how do we know? And I know that people say, oh, but the gripe water, like, it's just like, I think it's just like herb, herbs and stuff, right? Yeah. Isn't it like an herbal concoction? Like, I don't yes, know. How do is. we know that that's, mm -hmm. that's, that's even safe? Yeah, right. That's what worries me when you see like, oh, here, it's got like all this, all these herbs and stuff in it. Like, well, and then you're just putting it right in the baby's mouth. I'm like, I don't know. That's not, yeah. I don't know. Um, that was did, always made me uncomfortable. I know. I know it. Um, one of the things that, you know, with the probiotic, the research that was done with probiotics showed that it helped a lot more with babies that were breastfed than were formula fed. 
Oh, um, I was going to say that. I was just going to say, like, what's the, yeah, is there a difference between formula and breastfed? You really have to be I careful. I imagine there is. <laughs> yeah. It, it's, yeah. Um, you really have to be careful what you, what you read, you know, because when I was starting to do the research on this, of course, when I put, when I put into Google, you know, colic and infants or infant colic or whatever, I'm getting a lot of like bloggish type stuff that's popping up. And one of the things I try not to read them because then they just make me like hostile, like the minute I read it. So <laughs> yeah. I try not I'll to. Get but a text one, message. Yeah. One of the things said, um, you know, that you have to keep away from gas producing foods like vegetables. Oh, you know, and it's like on. that. Do not listen to that stuff. Don't let it's anybody tell vegetables you. Vegetables too. Isn't that interesting? It's always vegetables. Like mm-hmm. eat your vegetables, make sure you get, you know, lots of, you know, vegetables. Oh, but don't eat vegetables when you're breastfeeding because it makes your baby gassy. Right. But eat okay. a cookie because it'll Mix increase mes- your supply. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so dumb. So like I had somebody the other day was like, all right, so tell me about this. Stuff. I was like, is this just kind of like a gimmick or what? I'm like, yeah, it's a gimmick. So the, and we know, like I've told this before on the, on the podcast, but we'll ta- say it again in case this is your first episode, like it is ours, obviously. No, it's really not. But you know. <laughs> So one of the things that goes around a lot is that if you eat gassy foods, things that make you gassy, like broccoli, Brussels sprouts, what else makes people gassy? Beans, whatever. Any kind of high fiber food. It makes you gassy, right? For some people, it makes them gassy. And if you eat that, it's also going to make your baby gassy. But that is not correct. And that is because your milk is made from your bloodstream, not the stomach, not your the contents of your stomach. It is made from your bloodstream. So fiber, which is what makes people gassy from these foods, does not get into your bloodstream. Fiber goes out in the form of gas. It leaves your body in the form of gas. So it does not get into your bloodstream. Therefore, impossible for it to cause gas in your breastfed baby. Totally impossible. Fascinating. People like to say that because they just are assuming that that's what's going on. And then they write a blog about it for a million people to read. You can fuck right off because that's not yeah. the case. Like, right. it's and then when you, really yeah, not you case. search it into Google, like what's going on with me, this person's blog comes up and you're like, oh, that must be true. Oh my God. I have to stop eating vegetables. And it's like, it's, that's not what's giving your baby colic. Is not the gas that you're eating. I also saw something recently that said a baby's latch is going to give your baby colic, is going to lead to colic. Because if the latch isn't right, they're going to take in more air and this is going to give them colic. No, that's not how babies get colic. No. Babies don't get colic from a bad latch. That's not what's happening. Colic is very misunderstood. Even the scientists are like, this is misunderstood. Like, this isn't just coming from us. Scientists are like, we don't really know. Like, we can take our guesses as to what could be causing this. But one of the biggest things in here, in everything that I've read, is the aspect of what is happening in the family unit. Do we have support? Is there anxiety going on, which is which is making things harder? Is, you know, is reacting to your baby is your baby's crying causing more you know more distress for you is that part of the issue is your baby just a little bit more sensitive to what's going on around them like nobody yeah, wants I feel to feel like, that 
their baby yeah. is like a baby that can't be soothed. Nobody wants to hear that, but sometimes that's the case. Yeah. And I feel like this is a spectrum too. It's like we talk about babies that are colicky or not colicky. And I feel like we just have a spectrum of babies that have different levels of sensitivity or reactivity or something's going on, you know, developmentally. And, you know, some babies just don't cry a lot about that stuff. And then some babies cry a lot. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's not like, oh, my baby has colic. My baby, like, you know, got some germs and then got colic. That's not, it's not a disease that you get and then there's a cure. <laughs> you know, it's it's like what we call babies that are super cryy. Mm-hmm. And it's not that they're not getting enough breast milk. It's not that you don't have enough breast milk at that time of day. Like I, have we ever done an episode just on cluster feeding? I don't know if we have, but maybe we we should, because I feel like I have that conversation all the time with parents that cluster feeding is not necessarily about food. And people are convinced my baby is starving at this time of day and they are not getting enough to eat. And it's like, your baby's just fussy, like, which is normal for that time of day and that age. And it happens. That's why we think that that's why there's a piece in here that they're saying this is likely developmental, too, because it starts at a certain age and it ends at a certain age. And that's that's developmental. There's a highly developmental piece to what is going on with your baby. And again, we don't understand this stuff because we're not babies. Yeah. Yeah. That's all I have to say. Yeah, I know. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> I hope it's helpful. I hope this has been a little bit helpful. It's not going to take away your colic issues if you are somebody that, but if you're like, if you're worried, oh my gosh, my baby's crying. Is it something I'm doing? Am I doing something wrong? Am I not responding to them well? No, there's, this is nothing you're causing. You're not causing this at all. You're really not. Um, Babies just cry. That's what they do. I mean, they just, they do, they do cry and they are fussy and they do have their moments where they're inconsolable. That is not uncommon. And I think it's very natural for us as parents to feel like, why why can't I calm them? Why can't I soothe them? And I remember even, you know, like I've told a million times how we lived with my parents for the first six months of my son's life because we were just moving back up from North Carolina. And I remember my son being, you know, Nathan having those fussy periods during that time frame, And my mom being like, I don't know, must have been something you ate. Must have been something you ate. And me just feeling terrible because, yeah. you know, I, I was like, well, great. What am I supposed to eat? Nothing? Like, am I supposed to eat nothing? I don't understand. Right, exactly. It's what the, could I makes it even so more bad. of a mystery and you have to eat. Right. And then you think everything you're doing is you're causing it. And of course, my mother doesn't know. She didn't breastfeed. She had no, no idea. And her last baby was 30 years prior to that. So what is right, she remembering? Yeah. You know, right. like it's, but it still hurts you. It still sits in your yes, head and you think you're totally. doing something wrong. So absolutely. It's, yeah. So it's, it's a hard, it's hard stuff. It's hard stuff, but it goes away. Um, it is not something that your baby is going to, you know, be screaming like that forever, but it is hard. So definitely a lot of it comes down to support and help and we just need it. We just need it. We all need help. We all need help. <laughs> Well, thank you, Diane. And thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. I'll put these things in the show notes. So definitely read them. Um, It's really interesting stuff for sure. So check it out. See ya. Bye. Bye. Bye.